6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler completes his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 8 through 10. Jehoshaphat being then king of Judah in the south, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, um, 32 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. Now, Jehoshaphat appointed his son Jehoram as co-regent the year he went off to battle with Ahab at Ramoth Gilead. Uh, And uh, he probably thought he was going to be out of the country for a long time, but in any case, uh, Jehoram evidently remained in Jerusalem to run the country while his dad was gone. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat's uh, sole reign in Judah was when Ahab's son Jehoram, that's in the northern kingdom, began to rule in Israel. It was the second year of Jehoram's co-regency with Jehoshaphat. So there's some overlap, but anyway. And by the way, I'll tell you right up front, if you start trying to spend a lot of attention on the chronology and reconcile this, it's a very ambitious task because they keep records differently, north and south, and they don't do it consistently. In the north and in the south, at different times, they change the methods. So there are libraries full of experts who have tried to sort out what they call the chronology of the kings. The difference in rendering isn't great. A few years here and a few years there. It's not like there's some profound issue behind here, but just understand that it's a non-trivial task to try to really pay attention to this. And I have adopted, I pretty much follow uh, the uh, Bible uh, knowledge uh, commentary as an example because it's very detailed and just to pick one rather than, I'm not, I, I have not tried to litter our notes with examples where they differ and stuff because it doesn't amount to a lot. Just be sensitive. If you're going to get into it, you can't get into that subject a little bit. Either really get into it or pass. You know, it's one of those things. You follow me. But uh, in any case, uh, let's go on to verse 18. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab. That's bad news. In other words, uh, Ahab was one of the worst of the bunch up to that time. And um, he is he is doing the same thing. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, this is... when it says, See, understand who we're talking about here. We're talking about Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. We're talking about a king of the southern kingdom who marries the daughter of Jezebel. Okay? And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. See, if he was a king of Israel that, in the northern kingdom, that's one thing, but he's not. He's the south. He, he, he's following the, the, the pattern, the cultural uh, culture of Ahab. For the daughter of Ahab, Ahab and Jezebel, you might add, was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David his servant's sake, as he promised him to give him always a light and to his children. So, in other words, this king is bad news. He married Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. That's bad news right there. We're going to talk a lot about her in a little bit, so uh, we'll get into that more in more detail. But um, even though he's bad news, God is gracious to the southern kingdom because of his promise to David. And that's going to echo all through here, that uh, 
his commitment to David. Because it'll, it pleases God to, to, to do that. If for no other reason, then his whole program of redemption is, is organized through the line of David, to the ultimate son of David, namely Jesus Christ. Anyway, verse 20, in his days, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah and made a king over themselves. Now, by the way, just before I leave uh, Jehoram here, he was one of Judah's evil kings. In the, in the southern kingdom, there's some good guys, some bad guys. This is one of the bad guys. It's interesting, by the way, something else about him. Second Kings here mentions only two of the unfortunate events that marked the reign of Jehoram. One of them that's not included in your text, but you need to be aware of to follow what's going to come on later, uh, he murdered six of his brothers. And most commentators take for granted that the one that talked, his wife is the one that talked him into it for some reasons that'll come, come forward later. And so, because no other Judean king practiced such a thing. But Athalia herself did the same thing when she later rules. And we'll talk about that in the next session in more detail. But, uh, okay, now, now get in, in verse 20 here, where the, the days of Edom revolted. You see, Edom had come under control of Judah under Jehoshaphat. And uh, he defeated a, a coalition of kingdoms that included Edom. Back, this is in Second Chronicles 20, if you want to look it up. At that time, an Edomite deputy may have been put in charge on the throne uh, uh, in place of an Edomite king because they're in subject, subjection to Judah. And uh, Edom, helped, Edom helped Israel and Judah in their campaign against King Mesher, you may recall, in chapter 3 of Second Kings before in the previous sessions. But now in Jehoram's day, Edom finally rebels and set up their king. That's the, say they not only revolted, but they made a king for themselves. So they, they, they threw off the provisional government, if you will. So Jehoram went over Zaire, and that might be a, by the way, a translation of Seir, which is another idiom for Edom, Mount Seir. Anyway, and all the chariots with him, and he rose by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him about, and the captains of the chariots and the people fled unto their tents. And yet Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now Libna was located southwest of Jerusalem near the border of Philistia. Uh, the um, rebellion seems to have been precipitated by Philistine influence. We get that from Second Chronicles, not from Second Kings. There's a lot of parallel passages here. And we're not going to try to reconcile all. We'll just pick what we need to, to follow the thread. So the, see, the Philistines invaded Judah in Jehoram's day. And of course, Judah suffered a lot of, uh, I mean, yeah, Judah suffered a lot of losses at their hands. And the Arabians also rebelled. Both Philistia and Arabia uh, feared and paid tribute to uh, uh, Jehoram's father. But uh, Judah's weaker under Jehoram, partly because of his wickedness. So his father had set these things up, but with this, the young guy taking over, they're taking the opportunity to throw him off because he doesn't have the strength. So he's not, first of all, he's not faithful. That's one of the, one of the reasons the nation is weak is because he's, he's, he's in apostasy. There's a lesson there. Anyway, the rest of the acts of Jehoram and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. And Jehoram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. And this guy is going to be bad news. In the twelfth year of Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, begin to reign. So there's a Jehoram, son of Ahab, in the northern kingdom. And there's Jehoram, the son of uh, 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 Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, in the south. Now, some Bibles will spell them differently to keep you getting confused. I elected not to do that because I think it's important to be tuned to it so you discern it by context. You with me? 
Here's a case where they don't have the same name, they're cotemporaneous, which makes it a little more complicated. But it, the text will usually tell you, whether from the context or explicitly, which one they're talking about. Two and twenty years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And here's the sentence. And his mother's name was Athaliah. I think that's the way you pronounce it. Athaliah, anyway. Uh, the daughter of Omri, the king of Israel. Let's be a little more clear. Omri was the father of Ahab, and Ahab married Jezebel. So the way to remember Athaliah is she is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And I have says that not only because she literally was, but she also was in spirit. She is a mean... There's a term for that, but I shouldn't use it in polite company. I'll let you draw your own conclusions from the text. Anyway, getting back to... Uh, Ahaziah, he walked in the he walked in the way of the house of Ahab. Now that's an indictment. He's in the south. He's part of Judah, not Israel. Yet he's following the pattern of the idol worshiping idolaters, apostate uh, uh, Baal worshippers in the north, and did evil in the sight of the Lord as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. You got the picture, gang? You'll need to understand that as we go here. And he went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, the king of Assyria, in Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Jehoram. Now, it may surprise you that they're an alliance. And by the way, another, another caution here. Don't confuse Ahaziah of Israel uh, and Ahaziah of Judah. They're two different kings. Okay, Each ruled one year, and the reigns did not coincide. Uh, Ahaziah of Judah reigned in the last year of Jehoram, the king of Israel. His reign commenced while he was 22 years old, uh, when his father Jehoram died of, of, of a sickness, by the way, intestinal problems. Now, Israel and Judah here are, are allies, which may be surprising. It's not, uh, they're still uh, allied here. And uh, this is why he joined his uncle Jehoram in battle against Haziel, the king of Aram, at Ramoth Gilead. And by the way, this is not the battle at Ramoth Gilead, which Ahab was fatally wounded. That's, that was... Uh, uh, took place 12 years earlier, okay? Uh, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of continual contests between Syria and the northern kingdom, and just as there are contests between Edom and the southern kingdom and so forth all the way through, so don't get them confused. There's, um, it takes some study to sort them through. But, uh, but the main point here that's making is Jehoram was wounded in this battle and returned to Jezreel. That's the plain of Jezreel where, uh, you know, uh, at, at the foot of uh, Mount Megiddo, the seat of Armageddon, if you will. This is probably where Jehoram had his winter palace, by the way. He went there to recover from his injuries when he was wounded in battle. And Ahaziah went down from Jerusalem then to visit there. And uh, by the way, something that uh, we'll find out in the next chapter, but should be useful to know here, is that while he was there, Jehu attacked and killed Jehoram, and and Ahaziah fled to Megiddo. And we'll talk more about that in in, in chapter 9. So let's go to chapter 9. And we're going to hear, now we're going to see the rise of Jehu. Jehu is a strange contradiction. This guy, this uh, coming few chapters should be rated R at least. Um, uh, and yet, I mean, he's a rough guy, bloodthirsty, uh, decisive uh, guy on the one hand, but he ends up being a weak ruler. So a strange contradiction. Let you sort that out as you get to know him a little bit. But anyway, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. I might warn you that, see, Elijah and Elisha were God's instruments to warn Ahab and, and, and all his relatives of consequences of apostasy. 
Jehu will turn out to be God's instrument of judgment when those kings in the north fail to repent. So Jehu, as blood, bloody as is, is God's instrument in this, so recognize that. Now you may recall from first, back in 1 Kings 19 that Elijah had been commissioned by God to anoint Jehu king over Israel. Uh, now this assignment actually fell to his successor, Elisha, who delegated to one of his young prophets under his tutelage. And uh, so let's get into this. So verse 1, Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now you gird up your loins. In other words, you, you take your flowing things and tuck it so you can run. That's the idea of traveling fast. He's going to tell him to run an errand. And when you run the errand, you get out of there. You know, I want you to be sensitive to that. He gives him some interesting instruction. And also gives him this flask of oil to use to anoint him when he, while Jehu was still in Ramoth Gilead. On the east, he's on the east side of the Jordan, in other words. Uh, after the battles that were there and so on. Okay, verse 2. And when thou comest thither, look out there, not look up in other words, and look for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his brethren, carry him to an inner chamber. Now Jehu is the commander of the army, that's Jehoram's army, the king of, of the northern king, and uh, his anointing was supposed to be done privately. And by the way, don't get confused Jehu is the son of Jehoshaphat. That's not, that's a different Jehoshaphat that used to be king of the Judah. It's Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. It's a different guy. That happens to be two Jehoshaphats. Just recognize we've got north and south. The names are often common. But the Jehoshaphat, this, this relatively good king in the south, has got nothing to do with Jehu is the son of a, a Jehoshaphat, a different Jehoshaphat. Are you with me? Are you together? And go and make him arise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. In other words, find a private place to do all this. Then take the box of oil and pour it in on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, key words, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and tarry not. In other words, go in, prophesy over this guy, anoint him king, and then get out of there. And uh, why would he do that? Well, because... Uh, what uh, the prophet is going to anoint Jehu um, for the God that for the purpose that God had given him, which is to wipe out the entire Ahab dynasty. He's going not he's going after all of them. He will before he's through. And uh, so the trouble with these kinds of things, though, is often innocent people that are bystanders can get hurt. So Elisha wants him out of there, get at a good safe distance, because there's going to be a lot of echoes here. So God's going to thoroughly annihilate Ahab's line, just as Elijah had prophesied back in 1 Kings 21. You may recall that Elijah had prophesied. Remember Mount Carmel, all that? He prophesied they're going to get all wiped out. Well, they're about to be. And Jezebel is also going to die exactly like Elijah foretold in 1 Kings 21. A good background review would be to read 1 Kings 21 in anticipation of all this. But anyway, so... Both Jer- Jeroboam's dynasty and Baasha's dynasty had ended violently back in 1 Kings 15 and 16, and so would Ahab's. So let's move on. Let's see. Let's see. Where am I here? Um, so he rose and went to the house, and he poured oil on his head and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over all the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. So that's, that's, the, that's the mission that Jehu attacks aggressively. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. I apologize for the language, but that's what it says. And what it means is the men. 
This is a way of saying the male line, the line that carries the legal titles. <laughs> so it's a rather colorful way of expressing it. I forgot to check what some of the modern translations do with that. They may try to hide the Hebrew because it probably is offensive to some people, but it's pretty graphic, pretty earthy, pretty straightforward. Anyway, uh, and, and continues, he says, I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. Remember that thing, because we're going to come in the next session some background there. And then what did the prophet do after delivering his message? <laughs> he opened the door and he split. <laughs> he got out of there. Okay, verse 10. Then Jehu came forth to the servants of his Lord. See, this is all done in private. So he comes out and the servants are curious. What's, what's, what's going on here? And one said to him, Is all well? Wherefore came this mad fellow to thee? <laughs> so they recognized him as a prophet. They called him a madman. By the way, that same word is used of Jehu's driving. You're going to discover that Jehu's characteristic is that he is a California driver. Okay. With his chariots and things. But anyway... And he said to them, you know the man and his communication. See, Jehu is trying to dismiss this. He doesn't want to get into it with these guys. But they won't let go. They said, it is false. Tell us now. He said, thus and thus spake to me, saying, thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over all Israel. So reluctantly, Jehu admits to him what this young prophet had, had uh, anointed him for. And what they immediately do, hey, that's a great idea. They hasted, took every man his garment and put it under him. Uh, on the top of the stairs, and they blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. It's a little premature, by the way. They've got a king. That's going to have to be dealt with. But as far as they're concerned, they got their man here. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, the son of Nimshi, so don't confuse him with the Jehoshaphat of the second kingdom, which is earlier. Uh, the, the, so the Jehu conspired against Joram, or Jehoram. Now Joram ke- had kept Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Haziel, the king of Syria. So all these, this is a customary response for this sort of thing. But, uh, well, let's go on to verse 15. But King Joram was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he fought with Haziel, the king of Syria. Remember, we picked that up a few years ago. And Jehu said, If it be your minds, then let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there. And Ahaziah, the king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. So we got this king from the south visiting. And there stood a watchman in the tower in Jezreel. And he spied the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company. In other words, he saw a cloud of dust is what he probably saw. And Joram said, take a horseman and send to meet them. And let him say, is it peace? So they assume that this they're bringing some kind of war news here. So they want to check it out. So there went one on horseback to meet him and said, Thus saith the king, is at peace? Now Jehu doesn't want to tip his hand yet. See, they don't know what's going on here. All that you've read in the last few verses is private among his loyalists. Thus saith the king, is at peace? And Jehu said, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. He's saying it sort of the way we'd say, Don't sweat it. It's not important. I mean, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to dismiss it. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. In other words, this messenger then doesn't return. So they sent out a second one, second messenger out on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, is at peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. 
And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi. He drives. So they recognize, as they're getting closer, that his style of handling the chariot was, it's obviously Jehu. No one rides like that, you know. So, <laughs> you've known people like that, right? Anyway, the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Let's see, I think I had some interesting insights about the name furious. Yes, furiously. Shigayon. The word actually is madness, madness, madman. It's the same word that he used the prophet earlier. Uh, he's very, very furious. He's, he's driving like a crazy man. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, okay, let's move on to verse 21. And Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram the king of Israel and Ahaziah the king of Judah went out, each in his chariot, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now the plot's getting more interesting here. Jehoram is the guy that Jehu is really after, but he's got a visitor from this other kingdom. Ahaziah, the other king, is visiting. Could be a big mistake. But in any case, um, where do they happen to coincide? A place called a vineyard of Naboth. That ring a bell? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see God's fingerprints behind this? It came to pass when Joram saw Jehu. He said, "Is it peace, Jehu?" <laughs> and he answered, "What peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many?" Oh, <laughs> whoops! <laughs> so Jehu drops any pretense here, and suddenly makes it quite clear that he is showing up as an adversary. Because he's insulting, obviously, um, <laughs> Jehoram's mother and father, etc. So, um, see, uh, he had he had not expected any, rebe- uh, uh, any rebellion. And it's fascinating that they, they meet on the very plot of ground that Parisian brought to to, to, uh, to Naboth. Of course, there was no inkling of Jehu's plans, and so he's showing up as an adversary. It's interesting that it, is, it was Jezebel's idolatry and witchcraft that ruined Israel's peace with God, for which Jehu was settling himself against her son. So he says, you know, is it peace? So he's answering that question in much broader terms than he anticipated. It's the peace with God that was shred by his mother Jezebel that he's there to avenge. That's basically what's emerging here. Okay, verse 23, And Jerom turned his hands, in other words, he tried to turn his chariot around and fled, and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. No kidding. Jehu drew a bow with his full strength, and he smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. So he's history. Um, Kind of interesting, because uh, he apparently was taken by surprise. He didn't have any armor on. At least it doesn't seem to be that way. And and so Jehu easily shot him uh, with a fatal arrow. And Jehu Jehu is a... Tough guy. Let's move on. Verse 25. And then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, Take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons. Ah, by the way, here's an insight that we did not get back in 1 Kings. See, Jezebel not only had Naboth slandered and then killed, executed like an inquisition, he killed, she killed all his sons. 
doesn't say it there, but it's revealed here. Saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. And when Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, now he's, he's a visitor. Hey guys, I'm from Judah. <laughs> when he saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, and Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up of Gur, which is by Iblim, and he fled to Megiddo and died there. And the servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in a sepulcher with his father David. So Ahaziah, the king of Judah, is a casualty in this whole situation. Now, by the way, if you compare Second uh, Kings 9 and Second uh, Chronicles 22, they all sound contradictory, but they can be reconciled. They can be harmonized. See, evidently Ahaziah fled from Jezreel south by the way of Beth-Hagan. Jay and his men pursued him and wounded him near Iblim. And apparently Ahaziah reached Samaria where he hid for some time, according to 2 Chronicles 22, verse 9. And Jehu's men sought him, found him, brought him to Jehu, probably in Jezreel. Jehu may have wounded them there again. He escaped and fled to Megiddo, but then finally died. So, so the point is the two, the two accounts sound contradictory. They can be reconciled. And that's just a small point. Just if you want to get into it, you can. Anyway, in verse 28, his, uh, oh yeah, his, his, his servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem, buried him there in a sepulcher with his father in the city of David. Verse 29, And in the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. So now we have an Ahaziah in, the, in, 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 uh, in Judah. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. She painted her face and, and uh, tired her head, her head, teared, I guess, teared her head. Is that the girl? She have to help me out there. And looked out at a window. Here, here she is, her adversary is coming to kill her. So she freshens up. Makes sure her lipstick's on, got her makeup all set. She's, so you can, she's not cool, she's just arrogant. Because she knows what's coming, I think. And as Jehu entered the, in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? Now that's quite a slur. Um, her, she's really being sarcastic here. Uh, she, she's trying to shame Jehu by asking if he came in peace. <laughs> Obviously he had not. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.